business organizations from Capita. Hello and welcome to this podcast from Capita, looking at the future of education in a COVID-19 world. I'm Justine Green, and given the current restrictions, myself and both our guests are joining the discussion remotely. First, welcome to Robin Gerberen, Managing Director UK at JISC. Hello, Robin. Hello there, Justine. Delighted to be here. And welcome to Damien Riley, Client Partner and Managing Director at Capita. Hello, Damien. Hello, Justine. Hello, Robin. It's a pleasure to be here. Right, Damien, let's just set the scene here. Do you think the business continuity plans, including those in education, were robust enough to face a crisis as big as this pandemic? Uh, Well, Justine, it's a great question. I actually think that uh, almost nobody had a business continuity plan in place that could have anticipated the scale of the challenge that we're now facing. Um, We've seen it to be a massive challenge across all sectors of the economy to respond to the COVID crisis Uh, The education sector, I believe, uh, is no exception to that. And what's interesting, I think, is that uh, really good quality leadership has been at an absolute premium um, in steering organisations through what is a very difficult time. Um, Schools, colleges, universities are no exception to that. Now, Robin, we mentioned at the beginning that you're from JISC, which is the UK's higher further education and skills sectors, not-for-profit organisation for digital services and solutions. Do you think the education sector has responded well and adapted to coronavirus restrictions? Yeah, I think, Justine, that um, they've, re- they've responded remarkably well, all things considered, to have, to have moved lock stock to remote working and, and learning across all, all age groups. And I think it's a testament to the leaders and and practitioners in those institutions that they've been very calm, collected and professional, as you would expect. Um, So I think they have they have coped really well. Damien, it does seem, though, that the crisis has exposed a gap between the so-called haves and have nots. How do you think that's manifested itself within education? Uh, my own reflection is that really what the crisis has exposed is some of the really fundamental structural inequalities um, that we have in society. And we're seeing that play out in the education sector uh, in a range of different ways, I would say. I mean, in the home environment, you have vastly differing access to um, data, to online um, content and, and the sorts of technologies um, that edu- educators are using um, to face the challenges of lockdown. Um, You have schools um, very differently geared up to respond to the challenge of uh, remote teaching, remote learning. Um, At an an infrastructural level, indeed, the network provision and the variations in network provision around the country, um, we're seeing real differences um, in the abilities of disadvantaged uh, students to access the sorts of resources they need um, to keep learning through the lockdown. Of course, because homeschooling for some children, they're all sharing one laptop. Yes, indeed. And, uh, you know, and if you're, for example, on a pay as you go data access arrangement, as many poor families tend to be, um, how do you make the choice um, between access to friends, family that you otherwise uh, would struggle to see and access to to online resources? I I think it's a real challenge. And I'm very heartened that uh, uh, the DfE in the last several weeks has started to step up and show real leadership in this respect. And Robin, we know that traditional school spaces can be a safe harbour for vulnerable children. So how does that adapt to digital learning? I think in this particular instance, greater emphasis has to be placed on on the adaptation that's required for for those vulnerable learners in the home, uh, ensuring that they've got access to to support, particularly uh, support around mental health and well-being, 
uh, the provision of, of more time for those vulnerable learners um, and also providing safe digital spaces for them to speak openly and in confidence with with the appropriate individual. Um, I also think it's really important that institutions are in regular engagement with, with their parents and guardians. And, and indeed, as, as in the physical world, triaging between, you know, the educational establishment, uh, welfare support services in the community is just as important, even more so now. And we've mentioned a great deal of schooling is now online and via video links. Is that necessarily a good way to teach children? Uh, I do think that there is a particular challenge uh, in online environments where uh, some children are simply more um, well adapted, more confident in that environment than others. Um, and the challenge, I think, for teachers there is to be able to vary their style, the way they engage, uh, to ensure that uh, they're bringing different groups of pupils with different traits um, and uh, different levels of confidence into the conversation and into the learning discussions. Okay, thanks for the moment. Coming next, what the new face of education might look like. Well, we've just talked about video conference not necessarily being the best form of remote learning. So a big question for both of you, what is? Robin? Um, So I think... uh... The methodologies that are now emerging as being probably uh, preferred by by many learners is the asynchronous method of delivery. So the idea that uh, the educators are able to post through a forum a set of activities on which then the learner is able at their own pace to, to go away and do some research, to watch some video clips. So the idea of the blend and indeed there therein lies also perhaps asking a number of learners in a particular class to come together uh, in advance of responding and working collaboratively. So so keeping that kind of social construct of learning is just as important as opposed to um, um, having it uh, uh, in a synchronous mode. And Damien, what are your thoughts? Um, from a process point of view, as, as Robin's alluded to, um, what we've seen in education institutions is really a, a pedagogical method that's remained largely unchanged for the last four or 500 years, where you have an individual with knowledge imparting that knowledge to a group of people in a physical setting, usually a classroom. I think what we're seeing now is the opportunity to really challenge um, that underlying model. Asynchronous learning, as Robin's already described, um, one aspect of that, uh, the greater emphasis on peer-to-peer learning and other um, more self-directed project-based forms of learning, um, you know, another. So I think we're seeing a uh, the emergence of a richer set of learning processes uh, as a result of the of, of the crisis. Um, and from a content point of view, uh, I mean, I mean, for me, this is really about opportunities to um, to take, you know, what is often a highly prescribed um, policy-driven curriculum-based um, approach to learning content, um, and giving learners the opportunity to enrich that with a wider and broader um, set of activities, um, given what's available to them online and some of the different stimulus that uh, schools are providing and that the Department for Education is pushing through the Oak Academy, for example. And what about the mental health aspects here? Because we know that people need social contact and that's something that a school, a college or a university can provide. It's probably being a little bit more front-footed around funding and provision for, for mental health provision Um, in a post-lockdown environment, recognising that uh, children will have coped in very different ways and to a greater or lesser extent with the challenges of um, social isolation. 
um, but also the educators themselves, if they can create those those safe uh, online harbours, forums into which uh, students can, can come together and share the kind of pastoral um, aspects of, of their anxieties. And, and let's not forget, children are no different to adults and the, and the environment within which they're in. And, and we know many adults are also struggling with, with the current uh, crisis in terms of isolation. When it comes to homeschooling, what sort of different methods of teaching are we likely to see emerge? Um, I think another area that's really, really fascinating is, of course, around assessment. There's been a huge amount of publicity about the fact that um, Key Stage 1 and 2 exams, GCSEs, A-levels um, are, are being cancelled this year. Um, I think that um, foreshadows potentially um, a more significant shift um, away from perhaps what we've had historically in England, which is an emphasis around um, summative, externally validated assessment to more formative types of assessment um, and greater use of um, self-assessment as we're seeing certainly secondary school students encouraged to do um, as part of their home learning activity. I don't know, Robin, um, if there are other things that you would add to that? Yeah, I think that um, at GISC we're currently actually trying to do some some thought leadership and, and, and shaping of what could the new norm look like in, in when we return from this period of crisis. And we, we anticipate an increase in, in blended learning materials and, and use of collaboration tools. I touched on asynchronous in terms of the online mode of delivery. But I think also it's really important that when you're delivering content that, that, that we, we rethink the, the content that's being delivered and ensure that it, it meets with the kinds of web accessibility regulations to mean that it's accessible to all. And giving children so much time and access online, do you have concerns about their online safety? How do we safeguard them while they're making use of this technology? There is a critical role here in the current environment um, for parental involvement and engagement in online safety. Um, and I think it's it's noticeable that uh, the DfE quite rightly in, in, the, in the recent announcements around provision of uh, laptops, tablets and online capability uh, were very clear that, of course, the safeguarding responsibility um, rests with the local authorities and with schools, um, as it always has done. But I do think um, there is a bit of a gap at the moment around the sorts of support that parents uh, might need to support their children um, with safeguarding, particularly in households that perhaps uh, will now have a level of online access that they previously um, weren't able to enjoy. So I think there's a piece for me about what additional support do we need to be providing for parents um, th- through this period. Yeah, I would I would add to that, Damien. Um, what we have seen is where institutions have clearly have have their infrastructure set up in such a way from a cybersecurity perspective uh, and indeed web filtering that doesn't always translate into the home in terms of, of yes, parents may well have access to devices, but are they really set up in terms of, of safeguarding what is being accessed online? Okay, moving on and next, what the bigger picture of the fallout from the pandemic might look like for education. organisations. So Robin, as we record this podcast in early May, we understand that one idea being considered is to bring children back to school in a staggered way. What do you think the mix of traditional on-site education and remote digital learning will look like? Well, I think in the the first few weeks of, of the staggered return, I don't think much will change because actually many of those individuals, many of those young people 
can't wait to see each other. I genuinely think that they will they will relish being back in in the school or college or, or indeed university environment, seeing their friends and, and reconnecting. I think over a longer period, we'll then start to see some of the um, uh, tools and, and techniques that have been adopted more recently, the, the winners and losers, and those that, that will win through and shine through, I think will come from the student voice itself. I think they, they will um, share their experiences of what worked and, and doesn't work. And I think that's where real leadership is critical in terms of, of from governance through to, to the executive and, and head, head leadership teams, their understanding of, of then how are they going to take forward a, a kind of digital first culture and, and take the best bits of the blend, um, but also... Um, you know, we, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a lot of great stuff that goes on in our schools, colleges and universities in terms of on-site provision as well. And Damien, what about the teachers themselves? Will they have to change? I think there'll be a set of short-term challenges for teachers in that if you think about how this plays out at a school level, what we're likely to be seeing are teachers uh, potentially teaching uh, much smaller groups of pupils, potentially teaching out of age group, possibly out of subject, um, and potentially teaching uh, pupils who, who they may not be personally familiar with um, prior to the lockdown. And I think working through all of that, plus coping with the fact that uh, children will have had very different levels of exposure to remote learning stimulus whilst they've been away, will be a real short-term challenge for teachers. There are already um, other countries in the world, like India, leading the way around the move towards online examination provision. And I think we might see an increasing acceleration um, of that trend. Um, another area is the whole subject of teacher workload. We know that teacher workload is a real challenge. It's a real challenge around retention within the profession. What we might start to see are the adoption of things like um, uh, online management of that workload, application of things like robotics and other interventions uh, to manage down the administrative workload uh, for teachers and enable them to focus um, on core teaching and other activities. So a set of short-term challenges around immediate response and perhaps some longer-term opportunities around the learning uh, that we could gain from what we've learned during lockdown. Damien mentioned robotics there. Uh, Robin, we've talked about AI on previous podcasts. Do you think it will find more of a place in this new normal to support students? Yes, uh, I do, Justine. I think uh, we've already seen the emergence of chatbots in the commercial sector and indeed in some of our universities and colleges where students are now able to ask frequently asked questions to those um, bots and and uh, as a signposting and a referencing tool it's proving to be very powerful I think in the classroom the emergence of digital assistance where it, it, it's seen as um, providing that that additional support to the teachers to focus therefore on those students that needed to be stretched and challenged or indeed those that uh, need, need greater support you've then got uh, access to um, uh, learning in, in that format, but also I think they'll have an impact on assessments as well, where uh, machine learning is, is there to support learners with responses to um, their assessments and, and, and indeed support the staff with regards to reducing the burden on marking. Uh, we've had for quite some time now automated marking of multiple choice questions, but actually now uh, with the advances in, in, in machine intelligence, I think we will see uh, the, the stronger emergence of, of these tools uh, to support the delivery of, of teaching, learning and assessment. 
And finally, let me ask you both, are there opportunities for the world of business to help shape education's future? I mean, after all, it's presumably to its benefit to have a pipeline of people with the right skills. Uh, Justine, I think you're uh, you're exactly right. Uh, I think it is in uh, businesses' interests to engage very closely um, in sh- in helping to shape uh, the education system that we need in the future. Uh, and I think there's probably, for me at least, three different dimensions to that. So one is thinking about the sorts of skills and therefore the sorts of education content that we will need uh, to be a high growth, um, high tech economy in the future. Um, T-levels, um, clearly uh, one part of the answer to this, but I think uh, an active role for business is also absolutely critical. Uh, secondly, I think uh, business playing an active part um, alongside education institutions uh, in giving learners the sorts of um, experiences of workplace environments that perhaps academic environments don't always provide for and um, being able to take a more active role as a responsible business in that is something that uh, I know my own organisation Um, is very keen on. And then finally, I think working proactively um, with education institutions around the development of some of the specialist skills that we're perhaps not seeing um, at the scale and pace that we want. So, for example, encouraging um, more women and girls to go into STEM subjects, in particular um, computer science, cybersecurity. I think business playing a more active part in that would be something that would be uh, very welcome and both in business as well as the national interest. Uh, just to pick up on a few points that Damien's raised there, I think they're, they're absolutely uh, resonate with some of the thinking that we have at, at GISC, particularly on, a, on the theme of Education 4.0 uh, and thinking about the future of education in the context of, of it being very much dependent on, on Industry 4.0. We've already seen some great examples during the crisis of of students having access to to industrialists and business experts as well as their teachers online um, providing input and and insights into those industries and I think that expert delivery is critical to ensuring that the students of the future are prepared for the digital workplace. A lot to be positive about. Okay well that's it for this podcast from Capita. We do hope our conversation has given you a helpful and insightful look at this important topic. My thanks to Robin Gerberen. Robin thank you. Thank you very much Justine. It's been an absolute pleasure and thank you Damien. And Damien I was just going to say Damien Riley thank you. Um, Justine absolute pleasure and uh, Robin good to speak to you as always. And I'm Justine Green. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more go to capita.com slash future of work and learning.